0: Hey, Dunkaroos! Coming up on this episode of Home Dunk, we're going to talk to Punter Chris Cluey, former Punter Chris Cluey. Well, I'm sure he can still punt if necessary, but nobody's giving him money to do it. And Dave Brown from Yahoo talking about the Kansas City Royals. Stay tuned. Idaho. And knocked out the park. I, I hit did a, a handstand,
1: them. I hit a grand slam, it was a great day for the fans, man, I got three sacks and broke three backs, I gave the crowd money, plus free snacks, I did a hat trick and a backflip, it's on ESPN Classic, and you weren't there, and it hurt me to watch them retire my
2: jersey, I hit a home dunk.
0: That's right, hit a home dunk, hit a field slam, jumped over the goalpost. Whatever it is that you do in the world of sports, well, good on you. I'm glad you're here with us. I'm John Moe, and this is Home Dunk. So, uh, baseball. Let's talk about baseball a little bit right off the bat, because I am happy and I am sad, which is not a surprising state of being for a sports fan, I... Would advise. I would recognize. I'm happy because of the Royals and the Orioles, um, because they are phonetically similar, and also because they are improbable. And in sports, you root for the improbable. Sometimes you root for the underdog, sure, uh, which these things are. But you also uh, you root for the variation from the routine. You you root for the storyline to be interesting, and the fact that the Kansas City Royals are in the ALCS and the New York Yankees are sitting around at home watching it, is interesting thematically, dramaturgically. There's something going on there uh, for a fan of of stories. So I like that. I'm not so crazy about how it went in the National League, though. The two teams moving on are the San Francisco Giants and the St. Louis Cardinals. Her- der- 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 der. Cardinals and Giants, as it so often is. I'm sure they're lovely people. I don't know if they're lovely people. <laughs> they might be jerks. Um, but they're people, and they're doing a job, and they succeeded, and sure. But it is the same storyline we've been having for a little while now with uh, with the Giants and the Cardinals. So I'll be rooting for the, the AL team, regardless of who it is that comes out of those uh, those two games or those the, that one series. So uh, – but – Really, the, the thing that kind of struck me was that I was sad that the Washington Nationals lost. I was sad. I don't follow the Washington Nationals particularly closely. I've been to one of their games many years ago. But I was sad that they lost because I think because I anthropomorphize the teams. Do you do this? Do you kind of imagine the teams as being people? I do. And I think of the Washington Nationals as being the new kid in school. I don't even know how long they've been the Nationals, uh, Instead of the Montreal Expos, but it's been a while. But still, it feels like oh, they're new, and then they lost a whole bunch of times, and they're just trying to fit in. And maybe they, maybe they, it's a kid who moves to a new school and decides to start uh, you know, putting gel in his hair, and and now he's going to be this guy, and he reinvents himself, and and he's just trying to 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 succeed. And so now he was succeeding, and he and he got to the the divisional series. And then lost, and and I, I think of all these teams like this. The Giants are uh, formerly, you know, those unpopular kids who then become popular and then are just insufferable. That's kind of what the Giants are to me. Like they were they were the lovable losers until they just started freaking winning all the time, and then now they're you, you just can't bear them. Uh, Cardinals and. And Dodgers are a little less clear to me anthropomorphically speaking, but all teams are somebody. The New York Yankees are Michael Douglas, the actor Michael Douglas. I think we can all agree on that. The New York Mets, Nick Nolte. I want to see, I want to see like an editorial cartoon version of a movie where the Yankees and the Mets, Michael Douglas and Nick Nolte, uh, have to team up to to solve a crime or something. I think that would be interesting. I would go into detail about why the Mets are Nick Nolte and why the Yankees are Michael Douglas, but I think it's pretty clear. Just think about it and, and it'll make sense. Um, but yeah, all teams are somebody. And I was rooting for the Nationals because of who they are. Except when I thought about it, that's not who they are. That's just a front that they're putting on. They are the Montreal Expos. They were created in the city of Montréal, Quebec, Canada. And that's where they ought to be because they had fans there. I don't know how many fans, but, but some. But it's the way franchises ought to stay where they are. I, I'm a fundamentalist in this regard. I think they should stay. I think they should make it work. I think they should suffer if necessary, but things ought to be the way they are. I'm not I'm not like fundamentally conservative in any other facet of my life, but on this one I am puritanical. Stay put. And so I was rooting for a Washington Nationals team that is just the Expos pretending. And I, I was supporting fallacy. I was supporting living a lie. Um Which is also, come to think of it, what the San Francisco Giants, formerly the New York Giants, are doing. The Los Angeles Dodgers, formerly the Brooklyn Dodgers, are doing. I think the Cardinals, I can't remember. But they might have been somewhere else for a time. So, yeah, um, I—so I'm a hypocrite, is what I'm saying. (laughs) I am a hypocrite because I will support a team that— is in a place it doesn't belong, and I'll just go along with that and I'll accept it, but I will not accept when it happens to my own team because it happened to my basketball team, the Seattle Supersonics, a team full of people... (laughs) Who, Actually, I have met a few of the players because I used to cover sports a little. Uh, so I've met some of the players, but I mean nothing to them. And it's even less so now that they do not, in fact, exist. I am, my favorite NBA team is a non-existent NBA team. It's a, a memory of a shadow of a ghost. That's, that's my basketball loyalty right there. And yes, the team moved, and they moved to Oklahoma City. And I am aware of that, and I can accept that reality, and I can say they moved to Oklahoma City. I can also say that there is such a weather phenomenon known as thunder. But I cannot use that word, thunder, uh, in conjunction with the name of a team, because it hurts too much. There's too much pain. I'm silly, I know, but it hurts too much. So I will root for the Nationals, even though some uh, former Montrealian some former uh, Quebecer is is having the same heartache that I am and and is is mad at me in a French Canadian way for for perpetuating a lie. So I'm I'm sorry anonymous Quebecer. And here's the other way that I'm a hypocrite. If the Milwaukee Bucks can't get a stadium deal, can't get an arena deal in the in the famously anti-tax state of Wisconsin, They very well may be bought back by the NBA under a provision uh, from the time that Senator Herb Cole sold the Milwaukee Bucks to a couple of New York investors. They built in a a deal, the NBA did, as part of the, the purchase agreement that if an arena isn't well on its way by a certain date, there's debate about when that date is, then the NBA has the right to buy back The team, and it's thought that at that point they could possibly buy back the team, relocate them to Seattle. Seattle would get all its arena stuff in order, and and everything would be ready to go. At that point, they would change the name of that team to the Seattle Supersonics because that is built into the arena deal that they're constructing in Seattle. And I would root for them, I would call them the Seattle Supersonics. I would. And I would regard Jabari Parker and Giannis, a Greek guy whose name I can't pronounce. I would regard them as as Seattle Supersonics and I would root for them instead of being ambivalent about them as I am about the Milwaukee Bucks. So, you know, look, maybe I should be realistic. Any one of these players on a basketball team, on a baseball team, on a hockey team could be on any other team. We root for laundry, as has been famously said. These people don't care much about me. I remember years ago, I, I interviewed Will Leach, uh, who was, I think, the founding editor of Deadspin and still writes a lot about sports, among other things. And he is from the St. Louis area, but remained a Cardinals fan, a football Cardinals fan, when the team moved to Arizona. And that was unimaginable to me. I was like, How can you do that? They, they took away your team, and now you're rooting for a team in Arizona, the city that... That took your team and he said, well, look, it's a business and I can, I can do what I want. I, they don't have any loyalty to me and so I'm a free agent with my own emotions. I can do whatever I want. And so I don't know. Maybe I should just recognize all those realities. But if I'm realistic – here's the argument against realism. If I'm realistic, then I shouldn't root at all because this is all just so silly. <laughs> This, this way that these sporting contests of people who have no impact on my life whatsoever play arbitrary games and I become emotionally involved. That's not realistic. The industry of sports isn't realistic. The NFL isn't realistic. The systematic maiming of human beings, a phrase that I use a lot these days on the part of the NFL, is not a realistic thing to support. But yet, here we go. Here we go. You know, do it anyway. Anyway, my point is, you know, go Royals. I did a home dunk. Chris Cluey is a former NFL punter, and he is also an author, and he's also an activist. He's a lot of things. He's also on the phone. Hi, Chris. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going fine. So here's what I'm wondering. It's football season now, and I I come to understand, you've been in the news for many things over the last (laughs) couple of years. I come to understand that you are done playing in the NFL. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm still in shape. Uh, I can still punt if 18 called me, but at this point, I am definitely not holding my breath waiting for that call.
0: <laughs> so this is what I wonder. Like now that uh, now that you're not playing, like what do you do? Like if if because it's such a, a demand on a player's time, like not just during the season but off season training and and all that goes into that. How do you how do you fill your day?
2: Uh, well, right now I'm doing the stay-at-home dad thing, since my wife is working. Um, she's working as a therapist at a homeless youth, uh, runaway youth shelter near where we live. Okay. So I'm in charge of our kids and um, pretty much take them to school, pick them up, uh, make dinner, clean the house, wow. and uh, then write in my free time. So it fills the days, and uh, I find it enjoyable.
0: And how is that? I mean, I know you didn't uh, you didn't play last season, but uh is there an itch that's going unscratched? Are you like, oh, I would do anything to just go out there and punt?
2: <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever said that sentence in the history of the world. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, to punt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I enjoy playing sports, and um, I'll, I'll probably look for like a local baseball league or, or soccer league or something like that. But for me, football was always – Something I enjoyed because I did it well, and then also because it was a good job that paid well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's it's not how I define my life. And so once I'm done with football, well, then I'll just move on to something else.
0: So you, you said that you're you're staying in shape. Why, Chris? Why why not? Like <laughs> you made your money. You you were you were in the NFL. Why not just eat some sausages and just get fat?
2: <laughs> uh, well, it would upset my wife. Uh, oh, that, okay really the main reason
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's why we do most things
2: (laughs) yep but uh yeah i mean i I figure you know being healthy is probably a good thing and
0: uh
2: i'm in shape now so you know it's it's far harder to get back into shape than to maintain where you're at
0: yes the older and older you get that'll be increasingly the case i think too Uh, um now do you do you watch football on sundays now
2: uh, not usually. Um, my, my wife will watch. And so if she's watching, I'll, I'll tune in and, you know, maybe make some snarky comments on Twitter. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, I'd, I'd rather be reading or, or writing or playing video games or, you know, nerding out in a variety of different ways.
0: Wait, so so at the Chloe household, she, she's watching NFL games and you're just you're the one passing through the room making wisecracks?
2: Yes, yes, that is our uh, <laughs> this is our household. <laughs> that's
0: that's uh that's unexpected. Um do you have like when you were growing up did you have a an NFL team that you followed that you were a fan of?
2: No, um I've never actually been a huge sports fan. Um mainly cuz I don't really watch a whole lot of television. And mm-hmm. so for me it was like, whenever my dad tried to get me to watch sports or something, I would look at it and be like, well, why am I just not outside doing that? Like, I don't <laughs> want to sit here and, and watch it. I want to go out and do it. Yeah. And so that that's pretty much how I've been my entire life is that, you know, if, if it's a sports contest or something, then I'll look at it and be like, okay, well, yeah, I can appreciate the complexities of it, but at the same time, I'd much rather just be outside doing it.
0: So I wanted to, I wanted to pick your brain also because... You know, I watch I watch football games, and and this is a, a podcast, as as uh, as I've been saying for the self loathing sports fan who recognizes that uh, that we are perpetuating uh, an industry that uh, that willfully maims its players, uh, almost all its players. It turns out in in uh, in recent studies. Uh, are being maimed, but yet I watch anyway, and I buy the merchandise, and I am entirely the problem. Uh, but <laughs> it when, is
2: a wonderful dichotomy.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it hasn't really been explored very much. I don't think I'm going to get my own show on ESPN as a result.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't see that happening. I, I mean, they already shut down Playmakers. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that's really the the vibe that they're going for. You could ask Bill Simmons about that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but here 's what I wonder when i 'm watching the game I like ever since I was eight years old, I watched the game to see, okay, the quarterback is going to hand it off to the running back, and then if the running back uh, doesn 't get very far, then he 's probably a bad running back and and that 's you know if the if the guy doesn 't catch the pass, then either the quarterback or the wide receiver are dummies and, and i I am oversimplifying it, but i i don 't know how to. How to overcome that? Can you give us some tips, like how a pro watches a football game for the real indicators of how a game is going beyond stats and the score?
2: Uh, well, for me, I mean, I've never really studied football that much. Gen- pretty much everything I've picked up has been through osmosis, mm-hmm. you know, just by being out and, and being around football for so long. Um, and and for me, a lot of it is just be watching practice over and over and over again because as a punter you don't really
0: do a lot during <laughs> Punt practice. Punt a few times and uh, then you're done.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you, you get to you start seeing, okay, here's here's where various guys' responsibilities are, here's what they're supposed to be doing. And then when you see a play uh, bust or, or not work out the right way, then you can start to figure out, okay, it looked like it was the quarterback fault on that one, but actually it was the receiver running the wrong route because the quarterback's progression was so quick that he's throwing it to where he thinks the receiver's going to be. And um, so just stuff like that. And, and really the only thing that makes that easier is familiarity. Mm-hmm. And um, actually what I've heard from a lot of people, and uh, it, it makes sense to me, is that one way to get better at sort of the intricacies of football is actually to play a lot of Madden the video game. Really? Cause, <laughs> yeah, because they... Uh, you know, they, they have all the schemes. They have all the, the player personnel and, and their responsibilities. So if you if you start paying attention to, to Madden and figure out okay which schemes are working, which schemes aren't, you'll start to realize that, yeah, each player has a very specific set of responsibilities and a breakdown in one area can make another area look really bad, even though it's not that second area's fault
0: when you were cut from, from the Vikings and, uh, I won't go into all the, uh, all the situations involved, that would be a topic for a much longer segment on another day. But a lot of people said, well, you know, he's a smart guy. He's a good talker. He, uh, he can write, uh, he'll be fine. And it struck me as so funny that, that so many people were worrying about your livelihood I mean, because they, they like you, a lot of people like you, but people were were spinning cycles in their brain, thinking, "How is Chris Cluey going to make a living?" Where nobody worries that about about that for any other member of society.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, well, and and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of fans view their favorite teams more as family
1: mm-hmm. than
2: as entertainment that they watch, and. They, they feel like they have a personal connection to their favorite players. And you know whether, whether you judge that rightly or wrongly, then that you know to me, that appears to be what the case is, is that you'll have like I'll have people talk to me on Twitter that all, all have never met these people, but it's, they, they feel they have a connection. And you know I, I think that used the right way that can actually be a good thing because it brings us closer together. But used the wrong way, that's where you get that blind fanaticism, mm. where you have people unwilling to confront the fact that yeah, your favorite player maybe did something really bad, and he should be held accountable, as yeah. opposed to oh well, no, it can't be bad. He's such a good football player. How could how could someone like that do something?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, do you feel? I mean, it's it's dissonant then because their relationship to you is different than your relationship to them. They've they've known your name for years. You. Have never learned their name. Do you feel it is incumbent upon you to preserve the illusion or to to set them straight about the way reality is?
2: Um, I mean, I, I just try to react to people the way I normally react. I just try to be myself. And um, you know, my my Twitter feed. You know, you'll see me being me. If you meet me in person, I'm generally the same. Um, I, although I probably swear a little bit more on Twitter. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I feel that. That's one of the good things about social media is that you can actually get a better feel for who an athlete is if you know if, if they actually put themselves out there. Now, you also have a lot of guys who only use it for purely branding and marketing opportunities, and, right. yeah, you're not really going to get much of a sense of who that person is. But I, I think that we live in an age where we have – a lot more access to athletes so people can actually make more informed decisions about which athletes they'd like to support. Uh, It's just a a matter of whether people choose to do so or not.
0: I was going to ask who your favorite uh, punter was playing today, but now I I sense that you don't watch a lot of football that's going on right (laughs) now. so So I'll ask you, who is your favorite punter?
2: Who is my favorite punter? Um, I don't know that I actually have one. (laughs) It's
0: uh, It's not Ray Guy? I thought it was going to be Ray Guy for sure.
2: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I I think Ray Guy obviously belonged in the Hall of Fame, and I'm glad he got in. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, I I, I don't know if if it's just the way I view sports, but the way I always looked at it was the people who were doing well, I wanted to be better than them because (sighs) that meant that I was the best. Right. So I never... I don't. I don't think I ever really had a favorite athlete. It was more, okay, that's someone who's doing something really well. I want to be better.
0: (laughs) So, so the guys who are really good at it kind of drove you crazy.
2: Well, not not drove me crazy. It was it was more. I, I saw it as a challenge. As okay, that's that's where the bar has been set. What what do I need to do to overcome that bar?
0: Whatever happened to the coffin corner? Because they used to kick it into the little corner right down there by the goal line and out of bounds, but now they don't do that anymore.
2: So that's a um, that's a technical change in the game. When uh, when Darren Bennett introduced the uh, Aussie rule style of kicking that rugby kick, uh-huh. all goes end over end. San Diego Chargers. Um, yeah, yeah. When he was with the Chargers, uh, so he introduced that to American football, and um, it's actually once you learn how to kick it like that, it's a much easier kick to use for plus 50 situations, because no matter how hard you kick the ball, it's not going to go over 43, 44 yards. So it's, it's a much simpler kick from a technical aspect in trying to kind of massage your normal swing into like a 75% hit or an 80% hit based on where you're standing and hoping that the ball comes down around the five or the 10.
0: Hmm. Oh, 75, 80% hit, what does that mean?
2: Uh, so so think of a normal punt would be like a ninety five percent, hundred percent swing. So basically mm-hmm. you have it's like your driver.
0: Oh, okay. That that's your, that's your leg swing like a pendulum.
2: Right, right, exactly. And and so on a normal punt you're you're going to pretty much without exception, you're going to try to get everything into it that you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may adjust for, for more distance over hang time or for more hang time over distance, depending on what the team needs, but in most cases you're kicking hundred percent. Um when it comes to plus fifty punts that's where it's almost like you're going to your golf bag and, and trying to choose the appropriate club, uh-huh. where if you, if you choose one that's too long, you know, you're going to fly it over the green, it's going to go in the end zone, touchback. Um, and what the Aussie Rules punt does is it allows you to keep that same 100% swing, and the way that the ball is hit means that the ball itself won't go past a certain distance simply due to the fact that it's, it's a different ball flight than a normal punt.
0: Okay, all right. How's um, How's your head? Is it
2: like... <laughs> Um, I think the only concussion I ever got was playing soccer, so I think I should be okay. And you
0: think you should be okay? Are you, uh, I mean, because d- you, you did some special teams, but there wasn't a lot of tackling in in your position.
2: Yeah, I, I got lit up a couple times, uh, mainly on punt returns, and, yeah. um, you know, when a returner would break free, and then I'd get blindsided by some guy I never saw coming, but, yeah. uh, I think I only had, like, five or six of those in my career, so, uh. I think I, I should be okay.
0: You're keeping an eye on it? Keep, yeah, yeah, exactly. Keeping an eye on If in I, her I start own
2: gibbering and, and trying to lick the paint off the walls, then
0: uh, I've built my wife to send me in. <laughs> if she can break away from the football game she's watching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris Cluey, author, activist, punter, guy, uh, nerd. Chris, thanks so much.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, the baseball playoffs are rolling along, and if you don't have your favorite team still playing, then your favorite team is the Royals. It has to be the Royals. You have no choice. It's got to be the Kansas City Royals. Here to agree with me or tell me I'm dead wrong is Dave Brown, the editor of Yahoo's Big League Stew column blog. Hey, Dave. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. Am I right that uh, I mean the Royals are, are the story right now, correct?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, number one. Uh, although the I think the Orioles' story is pretty nice too, but the uh, with the Royals not being uh, you know in the playoffs since they won the World Series '85, they've had a long time to practice for this moment, and their fans have uh, had a long time to wait. And it's uh, it, 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 it's a it's a fun team, and they do a little bit differently than uh, some of the other teams that they've played so far in the playoffs and many in the league. So uh, it gives fans something different to, to root for, and I think that is. Interesting when uh, you know we have the Giants and the Cardinals and the Dodgers usually right. uh, getting here to, to the end, so it's uh, it's it's fun because it's different. First of all,
0: well, how is it different?
1: The Royals. I mean, people joke about uh, you know how long it's been since they've been to the playoffs. Uh, they, they say things like uh, you know partying like it's 1985, as if it <laughs> uh, you know was kind of a, the the Royals or those Cardinal teams of the 80s that um, you know ran a lot. They uh, the, the Royals. Um, you know, use the use their speed. They they play really good defense, especially in the outfield. Uh, you know, they take advantage of things that sometimes uh, over the the past 30 years in baseball maybe have gotten lost a little bit. You know, we people have uh, you know relied on big pitching, and they have been pitching certainly in the bullpen and and power. The Royals don't really have that. They were last in home runs, so they they've had to make mm. up for that uh, in certain other ways by like, you know taking extra bases. Yeah. Stealing, or um, you know, they they have a couple players that they on the bench, Gerard Dyson, and and, um, and of course his name is Terrence Gore, who and Terrence Gore does nothing but pinch run, and mm. it, it's very you know, for baseball fans who are old enough to remember um, you know Herb Washington uh, with the Oakland A's forty years ago, or you know the pinch runners uh, of the past. You know they have a couple on their bench, and it's it's almost an automatic stolen base, and uh, it's just kind of an exciting. You know, underdog. You know, Kansas City is a is a small market team, so they don't have a big payroll, and they you know they can't afford a lot of sluggers. So they have to, uh, it's uh, you know, find some market inefficiencies in in other ways, and they take advantage with their speed.
0: Yeah, it's it's not often either that you hear kids rave about their favorite player because he's a great defensive outfielder. It's not. It's, it's not true. exactly. No,
1: it's true, but um, it's. Uh, I mean, they would not have beaten the Angels if they didn't have great outfield defense. Um, Especially
0: in that last game.
1: Especially in the last game, but also, uh, you know, now I'm I'm blanking if it was game one or two, but uh, Nori Aoki, um, uh, who plays right field for the the Angels usually, or for the Royals, uh, made a couple of plays in the outfield. I mean, they weren't technically great routes that he he took to the ball, but his instincts and his speed, uh, you know, saved two, three, four runs. I mean, that series could still be, uh, going on or going in the other direction, um, if it wasn't for the outfield defense, and it just sort of uh, reminds us that um, you know that's another thing that people sort of have taken for granted that you know you can prevent runs in ways other than getting a, a big strikeout pitcher up on the hill. I mean, uh, the worst thing the Angels could do in that series was hit the ball into the outfield. Lorenzo kane was uh, you know diving all over the place and and usually coming up with it. So uh, you know the Royals have. In some ways, the, the the market cornered on that. They they're, they're way ahead of the curve on defense, especially in the outfield.
0: Well, and when you think about it, too, they aren't going to land the big name free agents uh, in in the open market. So they almost have further to travel, uh, just with how they can assemble a roster than the Yankees or the Red Sox.
1: That's true. Um, you know, it's not that the. Uh, it, I think the Royals would be. You know, and it, it's it's a great story, but. I kind of wish they had a lineup that was a little bit, um, not maybe not more dynamic in terms of power. Although that would be great, but they they haven't had until the playoffs anyway a terribly selective bunch of guys. Uh, I I just kind of imagine what their lineup would be if the Royals had speed and great on base percentage. And they uh, I don't remember if they were last in the league in walks, but I mean that that's sort of something I think where general manager Dayton Moore missed the boat. And if they walked and ran the way they do, I'd say they, they would not only be underdogs, but maybe even uh, instead of underdogs, they'd be World Series favorites because that's uh, that's quite a, an unstoppable combination these days. But So they do have some limitations in addition to power. They don't get on base as much as I'd like to see them do, but uh, you know, uh, they definitely have um, gone about it maybe a little bit of a different way than the Yankees and the Red Sox, that's for sure.
0: Where do you stand on the idea of uh – The emotional level of the team going into something like this, because I got to think the Royals are riding high. There was a story about uh, Eric Hosmer of the Royals picking up a bar tab for a bar full of people after the last game. You know, it's it's very exciting. Like, but I've always wondered that that's a great story that we tell ourselves as fans and as people who who cover sports. But how much does that factor into it with the team in terms of actually producing wins?
1: I think uh in this way, I mean you know going out and buying, I think the tab was like twelve or thirteen yeah. thousand dollars at the bar the other day, and um you know that kind of stuff is great and but i I'm also one who thinks that chemistry is created from winning rather than the other way around, and mm. it's um the, the key thing about the playoffs uh and they actually it's something that maybe they had learned from uh, uh John Lester, the pitcher that they faced on the A's in the in the wild card game, you know he said. His key to doing well in the playoffs is not doing anything different than he did during the regular season, when um, you know he kind of you know pitched every game as if it was uh, an elimination game, and um, you know he you know the key to success for him was making it you know mentally just as uh, just as important, no more, no less than it was during the regular season. Uh, that is something that is easier said than done, but that is is one way to kind of free your mind and free yourself up for. Letting you play as good as you can, and the other thing, um, you know, that, that first game—it's been a while since most of these. And they're, they're, the Royals have like two players who have any kind of postseason experience worth a darn. Um, but that that crazy first game against the A's and the Wild Card at home uh, for a big crowd kind of uh, made it so you know they sort of experienced everything, every kind of emotion possible in that game, and sort of got it out of the way. So hmm. their inexperience of not being in the playoffs and not you know, feeling or understanding that extra pressure, um, you know, they were helped a lot by getting that out of the way in a hurry. So I think that's one of the reasons that they've been able to sort of free themselves and play as good as they have.
0: So if I'm, you know, I'm following the Royals in this postseason. A friend of mine texted me and he said, are you Royals or are you Orioles? And I said, well, they, I'm I'm intrigued by how uh, phonetically similar they are, but I'm probably (laughs) going Royals because it's just, such a better story. Are they going to break my heart if I cheer for them? Are they just going to get, are they outclassed and outgunned and outarmed by Baltimore and are they just going to get killed or do you think this is going to be close?
1: I think it's going to be close. Uh, you know, Kansas City's bullpen, is actually, you know, both teams are similar. There's there's, there's the one difference between the two teams is the, the power. And, you know, although the Royals have been Getting home runs lately, like I said, they were last during the regular season, but you know that hasn't stopped you know Hosmer and uh, Mike Moustakas, a third baseman who hit like two twelve during the year, but had twelve or fifteen home runs. You know from from hitting home runs. You know the Orioles have more power throughout their lineup, um, but uh, I mean, he, John, it is possible that the Royals are going to break your heart. I mean, it's
0: <laughs> it's the baseball Orioles, it's in our their own f- way,
1: sort of seem just as much of a team of destiny. I mean, they've been. You know, if slow and steady wins the race, I mean that's the Orioles. They've just been, you know, they've lost guys and it hasn't mattered. They've had lots of injuries. They lost Matt Weeders, their catcher, and uh, Manny Machado at third base, and there and there are more. Uh, but if, you know, Buck Walter has uh, has kind of grown and uh, evolved and mellowed as a manager, and he's kept them, uh, he's kept them, uh, you know, kind of single-minded of purpose. And you know, I, I wouldn't be you know, shocked if the Royals won in the next round, but you know, I just think that the Orioles have kind of the same sorts of things going for them that the Royals do and just maybe are a little bit better of a team, yeah. I
0: mean if, if you had gone in if you'd gone to Vegas in March and said, "Here's my bet Orioles Royals in the in the a l c s nobody would have taken the bet, but if they had, you'd you'd make a lot of money. <laughs>
1: yeah I, I think that will, that one would have been off the board i mean you could have bet individuals to uh to go to the world series but um you know I, and i i'd like to think that people will enjoy it that you know there's not tons of star power although there are some engaging personalities you know adam jones uh is a is a thoughtful fun player in addition yeah. to to being good and um you know Showalter walter is kind of cranky but um you know you, either he you know he's kind of a polarizing figure um uh, but interesting to watch and um, you know, that Yost, the Royals' manager, kind of uh, is maddening at times because of some of the tactics that he uses. Uh, it's not; it doesn't seem like that sabermetric sort of uh, ethos that, uh, that that the Royals use. Uh, but you know, it's a uh, it, it, it's a great story because the, the people of Kansas City have been waiting this waiting for this for a while, and they're, they're not. You know, it's it's you don't want to paint with a too broad a brush, but they're uh, generally optimistic. You know, kind of happy people, but when it comes to the Royals, they sort of learn to expect the worst over the years, and it's nice that the Royals are giving them some are giving them something better this time.
0: Well, as a yeah, as a Mariner fan, I just i I think fondly of uh, of Adam Jones because he's he's still around, whereas Eric Bedard who. They traded him to the Orioles for. Uh, just don't hear so much about Eric Bedard anymore.
1: No, wasn't. I think Chris Tillman might have been part of that trade. Tillman
0: too. was part of that trade, yes, and George yeah. Sherrill was part of that trade too.
1: That's uh, yeah. That wasn't a good point in time in history for <laughs> the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> did so, And, it, out, and
0: yeah. Chris
1: Tillman, there's one of those guys that um, you know, you weren't sure how he was going to develop, but he's made the All-Star team, and you know, that's a guy who is kind of leading their pitching staff with hey, the yeah. Orioles now. So it's uh, it's tough to. Uh, you know, the Mariners this year, I mean, you want to talk about a team that could pitch but couldn't hit. I mean, that was yeah. one. And I, I just think if they had a couple more bats, you might see them in a, in a Royals type position.
0: They might year, be so in business. In there. Yeah, in classic baseball refrain. There's always next year. Yeah. Dave Brown from Yahoo Sports. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, John. Thank you so much to Dave Brown from Yahoo Sports. Thanks to Chris Cluey. Thanks to Corey Shreppel uh, in our engineering department. Thanks to Steve Nelson and Peter Clowney. Thanks to all of you home dunkaroos out there for listening. Oh, before I go, this is our last podcast before the big national 40K racewalk championship. It's coming up. Ocean, New Jersey on the 12th. Oh, man. A $1,300 purse of prizes 13 big ones i know i'm excited maria Mikta is gonna be there probably john nunn trevor Barron, miranda melville all the heroes of race walking heel toe heel toe heel toe i'm john moe
1: bye now